be seated. What is up, Element Church? If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element. So thankful that you've chosen to spend some time uh, with us today. I do want to say hello to those of you joining us via video as well, no matter where you are tuning in. So thankful you are with us as well. If you're using Facebook Live, if you have access to Facebook, click that share button on the video. It's a great way to spread what God's doing here at Element Church. Before we jump into week number four of this Christmas series, that we are in today. I want to celebrate something with you. As many of you know, last week we kicked off our annual year-end giving opportunity called the So That Offering, which is uh, giving above and beyond our regular offering here at Element Church. And last week, so far, together, we have generously given to God through His church $29,371.38, and we should celebrate that. It's awesome. That is above and beyond what we received in the normal regular giving, regular offering last week. We received in our regular offering third, over $39,000. So almost, uh, you know, almost $70,000 was given in one Sunday here at Elementary Church. It was incredible. So thank you guys so much for leading the way in generosity. You truly are a radically generous church. I'm so proud of you and how you give as the Lord directs you to give. With the So That Offering, we are purchasing 250 pairs of children's tennis shoes that will be delivered to children who live in extreme poverty in Cochabamba, Bolivia, by our missions team this spring. And then the rest of it will go to help fund the I Heart Wyoming initiative, which we are super excited about launching that in 2017 as we come alongside other existing churches throughout our state and literally give them financial resources that they can use to tangibly serve their community in the name of Jesus. If you weren't here last week, or if you weren't able to give to the offering, weren't prepared to give, and you still want to, that offering, so that offering is staying open all the way through December 31st. And so if you're still going to give to that offering, please make sure you select the So That offering on our digital giving platforms, so push pay mobile giving option or the website elementchurchwy.com. If you give cash or check, just make sure you write on an envelope or on the check, So That offering, and we'll make sure it gets to the right place all the way through December 31st. Also, wanted to give one final challenge to us as your pastor for our Christmas Eve services as well. Uh, our team's done an amazing job putting together a, a great service uh, as we come together this Saturday to celebrate uh, the birth and the arrival of Jesus. Four opportunities to attend, and I want you to use that invite card that's on your chairs there and think about who you could invite to attend to Christmas Eve. So it falls on a weekend this year, which doesn't happen very often. Often. And so we are offering two morning services, 9 and 11 a.m., and then two afternoon services, 2 and 4 p.m. doesn't really matter which one you choose to come to. They are all exactly the same with our eKids program available as well. So I want you to think about who you can invite to Christmas Eve. We're going to sing some classic Christmas carols, some modern ones as well. We've added some classical elements that I think you will enjoy also. In the most recent study I could find by Lifeway Research, a Christian research company, They found among people who don't go to church that 55% of unchurched people said they would attend church if they were invited by a family member, and 51% of unchurched people said they would come to church if they were invited by a friend or a neighbor. 
So with that in mind, just want to challenge us, think about, pray about who you might invite to Christmas Eve. This Christmas season, we've been doing a series called My Advent, and we're talking about what does Advent mean for me? The word Advent means arrival or coming. And in the Christian church's context, it is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then Christmas Eve itself, where we celebrate the arrival, the birth of Jesus. And many churches use what we have chosen to use this year, which is called an Advent wreath. And on the Advent wreath, there are five candles. We light a new candle every Sunday. The last one, the white one, will light this Saturday on Christmas Eve, each candle representing a different truth about the arrival of Jesus and what it means for us today. And the first Sunday, we lit the prophecy candle, or the candle of hope. And we said the Jews have hope, had hope, because the Messiah was coming, but we have hope because the Messiah has already come. And then the second candle was the Bethlehem candle, and we talked about the dangers of being close to Jesus, that proximity to Jesus does not always lead to a passion for Jesus. Last week then, we lit the angel candle or the candle of joy. And talked about how happiness is temporary, happiness is based in our circumstances, but joy can be rooted in our heart. And today is the fourth candle, and the fourth candle is the candle of peace, the candle of peace. For hundreds of years, God would raise up prophets on his behalf to tell the people of Israel, his chosen people, that there was a Messiah that was coming a king that would rescue and redeem the people of Israel. Many of those prophets and those prophecies, in fact most of them, are recorded in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, Genesis through Malachi. Perhaps the most famous prophet from the Old Testament is the prophet Isaiah. In fact, in Isaiah there are more than 20 specific prophecies about the coming of this Messiah that Jesus then fulfilled with his life when he arrived. One of those prophecies from Isaiah is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So this is our Advent reading for today. It's not our main scripture, but in this Advent reading, we will find the theme of peace that will play into the rest of our message today. I'm going to read these two verses to you. They're on the screens as well. I'm going to stop a couple times and make what I think are some important comments as it relates to our lives. It says this in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And this is not a government as in we would think of it. The Hebrew word here for government means rule, reign, or kingdom. So God's reign, God's kingdom will rest on the Messiah's shoulders. And he will be called. The names of the Messiah will be Wonderful Counselor. That we face things in life sometimes that cause us to seek out counseling, right? And that's not a bad thing. Like our family, myself, my wife, our children, we've done counseling before in our lives. But Jesus, the Messiah, is our wonderful counselor. Mighty God, meaning more powerful than we can imagine. Everlasting Father, He is more good than we can comprehend. 
that no matter how good or how bad our earthly father was, we cannot project our likes or dislikes of our earthly father onto our heavenly father, for there is no comparison. He is more good than we can comprehend. He is more loving than we can understand. He is more gracious than we can possibly grasp, and he is more generous than we could ever contain. He is our everlasting father, and the last one, he is prince of peace. His government, it says, and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Amen? It's an awesome passage. So, as I was preparing for this message this week, manuscripting excuse me, out my notes, I realized for the first time, it had not dawned on me until this message this week, that every one of the truths about the arrival of Jesus that we have looked at in the series so far, every one of these truths stand in contrast to the trials that we face in life today. That because Jesus has come, even in the midst of hopeless situations, we still have hope. And just because we are close to Jesus does not mean he will keep us from ever experiencing harm. In fact, we looked at sometimes proximity to Jesus will pit us physically against the world. And joy, the joy God gives is not based on our circumstances. It's based on who he is and what he's done inside of me regardless of what happens to me. And then we have peace in the middle of chaos, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, I just want to be real with you today, not that I'm normally not, but I just want you to know that I come into this message today with a heavy heart, a heavy heart, that as your pastor, my heart is heavy for many of you in the room today and many who have been in our church today. And I know that this is not the case for everyone in the room. I know that there are some people that you arrived today and this has been the best Christmas season of your life. But there are some people that I could say by name, I won't, but there are some people that I know of within the sound of my voice today that peace is the farthest thing from reality in your life. That in your life it is chaos today. And joy Some people in our church got news this week that make joy seem like a distant memory. And hope, for some of you, hopeless describes your situation much better. And I just wanted to start off by saying, I feel like I need to acknowledge that. That in the room, there is hurt and pain and heartache and chaos in life. Now, I know because I've taught you this before, I know that trouble and heartache and pain and loss and chaos, these things are a part of life that we cannot escape, but it just seems like in the last several weeks right here in our church family, tight-knit people in our church home have experienced insurmountable storms in life, and it hurts. And as your pastor, I hurt for you, and I hurt with you. And I know for some people, it's even things like that that have kept you from believing in Jesus. 
there are people who, who say, how could I believe in a God? How could I put my faith in a God who would let my parent or my spouse or my child die? Or would allow that person to be given that disease? Or allow that child to be born with that deformity? How could I believe in a God like that? And if that's you, I get it. I do. I, I understand that, that when trouble comes and causes chaos in our lives, when, when we experience the absence of peace in life, it can lead us so quickly even as believers, to discount the presence and the power and the love of our God. Well, we can so quickly begin to not trust that Jesus is indeed our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There are people who would say, how can I call him Prince of Peace when I'm facing so many problems in my life? That's a legitimate question. It really is. And I want you to know that I think God gives us permission to ask those questions. How can I call him Prince of Peace when I'm facing so many problems? And that's where this big idea is going to kind of fit into this theme today. And it's not lost on me that I had this entire outline planned seven weeks ago with this big idea written down in paper not having a clue of the news after news after news after news that would hit many in our church family the last three or four weeks. Here's the big idea. I think it's very poignant for today, for many of us in the room, and it's this. The peace God gives is not the absence of problems. It is his presence in the midst of them. That the peace God gives is not taking away problems, not the absence of problems. It's his presence in the midst of them. So my goal today as your pastor is not to convince you that God is real. It's not to prove to you that Jesus is where you should put your faith. My goal, my, my prayer for all of us, at the very least, that we would leave this room today understanding at least a little bit more what the Bible means when it says that God is a God of peace. I want to know what it means. Now, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to put your faith in Jesus. In fact, regardless of whether you ever do that, you are loved here just the same. I want you to do that. I would love for you to put your faith in Christ. I think it's the best decision you'll ever make, but you don't have to, and we still love you. Why? Because God does, whether you ever put your faith in him or not. I do, all, I do want us all to know what the scripture says that God is offering us. And then each of us can make our own decision on what that means, which is why we're calling this series, My Advent, What Does It Mean For Me? What does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Can I truly believe that? So if the peace God gives is his presence, here's the big question I think we have to answer tonight. What does God bring with his presence? What does God bring with his presence? Main scripture is Luke 1, 26 through 38, and then we're going to jump to verses 46 and 47. Luke is the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, then 
Luke. And here in Luke 1, it's the story of, an, of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, informing her that as a virgin, she would conceive a child and he would be the son of God. You can follow along on the screens in your own Bible, the YouVersion Bible app, which is free. Or if you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one at guest services if you ask for one on the way out. Luke 1, starting in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that was John the Baptist's mother, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. So there we have the presence of God. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end, thus tying in the prophecy from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that we read earlier. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin." The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. That the peace God gives, not the absence of problems, but his presence in the midst of them. So what does God bring with his presence? Three things we'll see today as we read through this passage. The first one is this, that he gives me power to face my problems. Power to face my problems. I believe that the biggest miracle God can do when I'm faced with a problem in life, the biggest miracle God can do is not changing my circumstances, but giving me the power, giving me the strength to walk through them. Mary said to Gabriel, how can this happen? happened to me? And the answer Gabriel gave was, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow means to envelop, to consume, or to cover up. As a blanket can completely cover us, God's power can completely cover you. Does anyone need that kind of power today? I know I do. I know I do. But in this story, I believe the power that is being offered goes far beyond the virgin birth, which is amazing in and of itself. Biologically impossible to conceive a child as a virgin outside of the power of the Most High. But when the power of the Most High overshadowed Mary, I believe it was more than a power for the virgin birth. It was also the power to face the problems that were about to come her way. And you might say, what problems would Mary face? She found favor with the Lord, which causes me to remind us that just because someone finds favor with God does not mean things will always go favorably for them. Not counting the fact that Mary would eventually raise this son to be a grown man only to watch him be brutally beaten, murdered, and nailed to a tree. 
not counting the fact that when he was just a child, that Mary and Joseph would flee their home and go to a foreign land, Egypt, for several years because the king in Judea wanted to kill Jesus when he was just a child. Not counting the fact that when Mary gave birth to Jesus, most likely she gave birth on a pile of hay in a makeshift barn, laying the Son of God in a feeding trough for animals. Besides all of that, in the Jewish culture of this day, young women were engaged to be married as young as 13 years old, betrothed to a young man. And we don't know how old Mary was, but fairly, so we're fairly certain she was not older than her teenage years. And in this culture, there was no such thing as unwed teenage moms. They didn't exist. And one of the reasons they didn't exist was not because no one had sex outside of marriage. It was because the punishment for sex outside of marriage was death by stoning. If you managed to escape the death sentence, you would most likely be excommunicated by your family because you brought such shame to their name, which in itself was a death sentence, because women had no real rights of their own, no way to care or fend for themselves. In that culture, they were under the care of their father until their father gave them to the care of their husband. So here's Mary, as young as 13, the age of my oldest daughter as old as her late teens, faced with the realization that her life was about to be anything but peaceful. At the very least, she would lose her husband. At worst, she would lose her life. She was guaranteed to lose her reputation. And in order to face the problems she was about to face, she was going to need the power of the Most High to overshadow her. She could not do this on her own. So again, when Mary asked, how can this happen? Whether she realized it or not, she was asking a question more than just, how can I be pregnant? She was asking the question, how can I face all these potential problems in my life? And the angel said to her, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He will envelop you. He will consume you. That Mary, you won't be walking through this alone. God will give you strength. Strength. Give you strength. Ironic's probably the wrong word, but Jesus would face this as well at the end of his life. On the night that Jesus was arrested, tortured, beaten, murdered, then nailed to a cross, on that night, he knelt down in a garden called Gethsemane and begged his father to take away the suffering that was about to be in his life. And in Luke 22, 42 and 43, it records Jesus praying this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And notice, in essence, the father was saying to Jesus, his son, I'm not going to remove the suffering, but I will give you the strength to endure. I'm not going to remove the suffering, but I will give you the strength to endure. And church, can I say 
something to someone in the room today? That God may not remove your suffering, but he will give you the strength to endure. Listen, as a pastor, I wish in times of hurt and pain and heartache and loss, I had an answer for why. Why didn't God stop this from happening? I wish I had an answer, but I don't. Because the reality is, I would even say most often, he does not remove the suffering, but he always gives the strength to endure. Amen? That peace is not the absence of problems. It's God's presence in the midst of them. So what does he bring with his presence? He brings power. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Power to face our problems. And then it says this in verses 36 and 38 through 38. Gabriel speaking here. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. That was John the Baptist. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And I want you to notice that in saying that, Mary was declaring, I will not be a slave of my circumstances. I am a servant of the Most High God. She was saying what Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. May everything you said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So here's the second thing God brings with his presence. Number two is this. He brings peace in the midst of problems. Peace in the midst of problems. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the ceasing of problems. That's what we think of mentally when we think peace. We hear the word peace and we think absence of strife absence of problems. So I'm not talking about the ceasing of problems. I'm talking about being confident in spite of them. Not confident in me, not even confident in what God can do for me, but simply being confident in my God. May everything you say about me come true. Do you realize that when Mary made that declaration, she was saying, if I die, I die. If I lose my husband, I lose my husband. If I'm excommunicated, let me be excommunicated. But I will not be a slave of my circumstances. I am a servant of the Most High God. My allegiance is to Him first, regardless of whatever happens to me. May everything you said about me come true. Not my will, but yours be done. Her foundation was not in what happened to her. Her foundation was in the one who overshadowed her. That's where her foundation was. And church, the storms of life are coming, right? They're coming. I have said this so many times to you as your pastor, you might be sick of me saying it, that you either have already, you are now, or you will in the future face insurmountable storms in life. It's coming. It's coming. And one of my roles as a pastor, one of the roles of a pastor on our staff is to help people walk through the storms when they come. 
We're doing that right now with families in our church. But perhaps even more important than walking people through them when they happen, as your pastor is preparing us for when they happen, is warning us that they are going to happen, and building us up so that when they come, our foundation is secure. Proverbs 10, verse 25 says this, When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. What is that foundation? It's Jesus. That Jesus doesn't necessarily make things peaceful. Jesus is our peace. Prince of peace. That the peace God brings is not the absence of problems, but his presence in the midst of them. So what does God bring with his presence? Power to face my problems. Peace in the midst of problems. And then verses 46 and 47 of Luke chapter 1. I love this response from Mary. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I love that Mary chose the word soul and spirit when it talked about her praise of the Lord. Because let's be honest, there are times in life when our bodies cannot praise Him. Our hearts are broken in pieces. Our eyes continually shed tears. But in those moments where our bodies are unable to praise, my spirit can rejoice in God my Savior. That's where Mary was. So the third thing God brings with His presence is this. Praise in spite of my problems. He brings praise in spite of my problems. That the reason I can praise Him in spite of my problems is because of the power He gives me to face them and the peace He gives me in the midst of them because of who He is and what He's done in my heart. My soul can rejoice in God my Savior. Come on. There's a song that we sang earlier that couldn't be more fitting for today. It's an Element original song written by one of our volunteers that serves here in our band. Her name's Corey. The song's called Come to Me. When I first heard this song, I was literally moved to tears. And I truly do believe, I've told Pastor Jared this and I've told Corey this, I believe this song has been anointed by the power of God to help bring healing to people's hearts. And so, not long ago, months ago now, before we did this song at Night of Worship back in August, we recorded a video where Corey kind of shared her story of how this song had been birthed in her heart. And I would like to show you this story, and then I want to read to you some of the lyrics from the song. Go ahead and check out this video. reading my Bible and uh, was in Matthew and had been so tired and just life had been really heavy and I came across Matthew 11, 28 and 29. It spoke to me so much. It was really Jesus speaking directly to me. Let me take it for you. Um, I'll take care of it. So I knew that I wanted to convey that to other people. 
the verses just stuck with me and I knew that I needed to show kind of how I was feeling that led up to it. Jared was sick and bored, threw an email out there. If anybody has any songs or lyrics and it's the first song I've written in a long time, driving back from Denver and I was like, actually, here's a song for you. And within a couple of days, we had a rough draft and at the time, some friends were going through an extremely rough time. Um, we had someone whose son passed away. He was eight years old. I was trying my best to comfort this woman and help myself through it, watching my children. And we were sitting at the funeral and all I could do was sing the chorus over and over and over in my head to just come to me because I was so weary. Anytime I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, anytime I'm starting to feel everything kind of caving in, it's just that reminder, and I can sing it and really know that, um, that I'm not alone. Knowing that other people actually like it, um, that other people wanted to hear it, that it meant something to somebody else other than me. Um, it's kind of neat. I was kind of putting myself out there and showing how you know, weak or emotional I was, and then, but hearing other people say, you know, we've all felt that way, we've all been that weary, we've all been that tired and overwhelmed. But the girl who does my hair, somebody comes up, gives her a hug, she starts to cry. And I'm like, is there anything I need to pray with you for? It's like, you know, Corey, I'm just, I swear her exact words, I'm just so weary and so tired, and I don't know if I can take anymore. And I wanted to be able to sing her this song and say, I have the perfect song for you. Like, this is for you. This entire song is for you. And it could be like that for anybody. Whenever they feel that, you know, sing this, hear this. This is, you know, Jesus' exact words to you. I want to read to you some lyrics from the song that I believe there are some people here today that you would say, this, that's me. This is where I am. Here's the lyrics. When my heart is overburdened with the trials of this life, when the storms rage all around me and I'm overwhelmed with strife, give me peace that passes understanding, even in my fall. Let me hold strong to your promise, to your gentle call. When the sorrows here consume me and fear is all I know, I will run to you, my Savior. And I never will let go. And you say, come to me, all you weary, and I'll give you rest. Learn from me. Oh, abide in me. And I'll give you rest. Yesterday, I did not ask for permission coming into this day to share this story. And so after first service where this family was, I asked for forgiveness. <laughs> but yesterday... I had the honor of officiating a memorial service for a family here in our church. We're doing another one on Wednesday for a very dear loved friend in our church. Yesterday, the family gathered in here, 150 people or so, to honor and remember, mourn, celebrate the life and loss 
of a 60-year-old man who left behind his wife of 38 years and his only child, a daughter, who attends our church with her family. The widow I sat with in our lobby 10 months ago when she put her faith in Jesus. I sat with them on Monday to talk about the funeral, to learn about her husband's life. I had never met him. He had not been to our church. He was physically unable to attend. But as she was talking with me, she said, Jeff, I lost my mom years ago, and I lost my husband today. And I'll tell you, losing a loved one with Jesus makes all the difference. They asked that we sing the song, It Is Well, or we play the song, It Is Well With My Soul, at the end of the service. So here we are in this room yesterday. We showed pictures. We laughed. We cried. We celebrated. We mourned. I preached a little message, and then we played the song, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. The second verse of that song says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. When that second verse started, literally four seats over in the front row, this widow, 38 years married, 10 months old as a Christian, did this the entire verse. <laughs> Just praised God through her pain. Blew me away. Blew me away. I was so challenged in my own faith to see a 10-month-old Christian modeling for me what it means to have peace. And church, I know there are people in this room who you are in the midst of chaos. And I would love to pray for every one of you specifically, but I, I can't do that. And so I want to pray for you corporately. So all throughout the day we've been doing this. If you're here today and you are facing chaos of any kind, spiritual, emotional, physical, relational, whatever it is, and you would like me to pray over you, I'm going to ask you right now to stand up right where you're at, remain standing, and I want to pray over anyone who says, yes, that's me. I want to have you pray over me today. Father in heaven, I don't understand things. But I believe in you. That's all I got. And you told us, God, that Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. Not he might be, not he could be, but he is. And so, Lord, right now in this room, I pray from floor to ceiling and wall to wall, you would fill this place with your peace, that your presence and your power and your praise would flood the hearts of those who are saying, that's me. I'm in chaos today. I don't know what to do next. I'm just acknowledging I need the Prince of Peace. So Lord, be peace for us right now in the name of Jesus. 
Help us to trust you, Lord. Not to trust what's around us, but to trust you. That God, you are the God who can calm the wind and waves, but sometimes you choose to calm our hearts instead. So calm our hearts today. Thank you, God, that you hear. Thank you that you know. Thank you that you care. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I love you guys so much. It is my highest honor to be called your pastor. I mean that. And there are seasons of ministry that are up and seasons that are down. We happen to be in a down one right now in our church home. And I know it doesn't affect everybody, but it affects a lot of us. And so thanks for letting me share my heart with you today. I know I don't need to apologize, but I apologize that some of these messages have maybe felt repetitive. But for me, it's a sign that this must be what our church needs to hear. And so I'm just being obedient to what God has laid upon my heart to share with you. I promise Christmas Eve will be a lot more fun. (laughs) And I pray you'll come back for that. Let me pray for you. Then Pastor Steve's got some closing words. Lord, you're amazing. I am blown away, God. Blown away at you. (laughs) Not what you do, just you. You are wonderful, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thanks for being our peace, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.